welcome to another edition of the Media Boat Podcast. It is April the 7th. Yes, April. Believe it or not, we are four months into 2021. We are rapidly approaching the middle of the year, if you can believe it. Um, this is episode, I believe, 274. Did I get that right? I sure. just did the website posts, and I thought that that was going to make me remember the number yes. we were on, but it didn't. Okay, 274. Okay, cool. I got it. Um, and if you don't know what the Media Vote Podcast is, and you feel like I'm talking like a madman, here's the deal. Media Vote Podcast is a podcast dedicated to talking about movies, television, video games, and music. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. With me is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Media Boat Podcast. Yes, slowly approaching. This is um, pre-Rex Manning Day. Tomorrow's Rex Manning Day for us and for everybody. <laughs> for everyone. For everyone. Um, some of you are not old enough to know what that is. <laughs> A lot of you probably don't know what that is. <laughs> Just Google it. Just Google, Google it. it. Cult classic. <laughs> uh, of a certain cult apparently maybe cult. yeah april uh man everything's kind of in full swing and things are happening in all four quadrants this week so let's just get into it why don't we and we always start the move podcast with the movie section we always start the movie section with the box office we actually had a pretty decent box office this week thank you to Two Titans of the Silver Screen, Godzilla and Kong. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. This looks like a normal box office. Kind of, at least, at least at that top spot. Everything else yeah. drops off, uh, off a cliff after that. But well, yeah, it you're looks like one. a February where you have the one big yeah. hit movie come out, and everything else is just carryover from January. Which really makes you wonder if Godzilla versus Kong hadn't faced a still residuals uh, effect of a pandemic, how much money it would have made normally. People wanted to see this movie. People um, wanted to see movie in general. Yeah, and yeah, it made a decent number, uh, thirty-two million dollars uh, in its debut. It's sitting right now at forty-eight million domestic after kind of the long weekend because it was released on the thirty-first as opposed to Friday. Yep. Um, and yeah, as, as you know, that's also available on HBO Max. Number two, following right behind it, way down at $3 million, is The Unholy. Number three, Nobody, another $2.9 million to add to its $11 million total. Number four, Raya and the Last Dragon, another $2 million. That's sitting at $32 million domestic. So even now with the first week's residuals for Godzilla vs. Kong, Disney's probably not super happy about that comparison but what are you going to do and rounding out your top five tom and jerry still sticking around 1.4 million dollars on with a 39 million domestic total that is now off of hbo max so now it's just in the realm of theaters until its digital release i would like to say it's not fair to compare raya to Godzilla vs. kong (laughs) is it is it not it's definitely not because Raya and the Last Dragon is a family film movie where you're going to take your whole family out to movies rather than Godzilla vs. Kong, which is I can go see this by myself or with my friend who may be vaccinated as well instead of my whole family's not vaccinated. I'm not risking it for my kids. I guess so. I'm not saying that's illogical. I'm just saying that Disney probably was probably looks at that number and probably hopes it, or wishes it was them. I think the extent. more apt comparison would be to Tom and Jerry, which that in itself yeah. is a very 
poor matchup. 32 million versus 39 million. Yeah. Either way that you look at, even though people are starting to see movies more than before, it's still pretty low numbers. Uh, yeah, we won't see that uptick until later in the year, depending on how things change. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's kind of what Disney's uh, pushing for since mm-hmm. they pushed all their movies out. Yeah. But we see talked that? about that last week. Exactly. So yeah, that works out as the year goes on. But anyway, this weekend we have one new release, Voyagers. Do you know what this is? Sci-fi film? Sounds sci-fi, but I'm just thinking of Star Trek. But Uh, The only thing I remember (laughs) from this is that it's got a very purple hue. Okay. In its its posters and uh, TV spots. Um, There's some big names in it. It is getting a wide release, but... But, eh, Question mark, big question mark on this one. Yeah, question marks. What isn't a question mark, though? is the movie that we're going to talk about in our first news story because it's something that we loved when it came out. How much did we love it? I think we loved it so much that it was one of our favorite movies of the year in that calendar year. And what are we talking about? We're talking about Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which was a big hit a couple years ago. Netflix has agreed to pay $469 to release two sequels. Two knives out. What? Two hundred sixty four hundred sixty nine million dollars. I say four hundred sixty nine dollars. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. Four hundred sixty nine mm-hmm. million for the rights to the sequels to Knives Out. The deal nets director Ryan Johnson, producer Ram Bergman, and actor Daniel Craig upwards of one hundred million dollars each. Some noteworthy points of the deal: Johnson gets creative control and doesn't have to take notes from Netflix. Craig must star in both sequels, and the budget must be at least that of the first film, which was in the $40 million range. This results in MRC and Lionsgate losing out on a theatrical release of the film, as a sequel was supposed to start production summer 2020 until the pandemic shut everything down. So Netflix took advantage of that little delay, swiped it right from under them. Johnson and Bergman, although being big backers of the theatrical experience, decided to go to the streaming route as questions about the near-term viability of theatrical releases continued to rise. So, Ryan Johnson playing the long game here, and this is probably a pretty lucrative deal. Uh, I mean, four to six nine million million is definitely lucrative if three million of that is going to to uh, producer, director, and star. <laughs> yeah. At least $169 million to play around with, roughly. Yeah. Roughly. Um, I think that Lionsgate did want this to be a release. They did have a first look, last look compete clause, which means had they stuck around for it, this is basically Netflix putting a premium mm-hmm. on top of what they wanted to pay for it. Maybe that's where the $69 million came. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice sum of money. It was nice. Nice. But, um, Netflix is basically stealing this out from Hollywood. We saw in the SAG Awards what they did there with um, the Trial of Chicago 7 winning Best Ensemble, mm-hmm. putting it kind of in a front-running seat for Best Picture. A front-running seat, but we've seen years like this before where when there's so many front-runners, sometimes they cancel each other out. Right. Also that, also that movie... 
is a big ensemble piece, unlike yeah. Minari and unlike Nomadland, Nomadland which yeah. are character pieces. Right, exactly. They're different kinds of movies. So ultimately, I don't know if this is one of those years where we can say it's a direct link. Uh, I'm not seeing it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. We can, no, we, we can but it does also kind of put another jewel in the crown of Netflix's king of stealing away <laughs> talent, directorial exactly. talent. Exactly. But yeah, um, besides, you know, Hollywood politics, um, are we excited to see more Knives Out? I sure am. Um, I sure am. What do you think their approach is going to be here? So Daniel Craig will be returning. But outside of that, there's a lot of freedom there to tell different story, different detective stories with that character, right? So do they completely throw out the entire premise of the first one? Do a completely new mystery for a sequel? I say you do a heist mystery next. Ooh, okay, all right. I'd like to see that. Then yeah. again, I like heist movies. Oh, yeah, no. Seeing as this was one. a murder mystery, you could do heist mystery, and then you can do horror mystery. Oh, yeah. Actually. There's but so many options, yeah. Also, what do you call it? Uh, well, not Knives Out 2. Can't do that. Christy keeps ref- keeps telling me that she thinks that a sequel should be called Forks In. <laughs> so, and then when she got the when I told her to this news about a third one as well, she was like, "Okay, Forks In," and then Spoons Beside. <laughs> <laughs> so, come up with something better than that. Um, the saying. Tuning Fork. <laughs> And it's a musical it's heist set in like movie. A mystery orchestra, like an orchestra mystery. Yes. It's pretty good. It's called The yeah, Fork. I'm excited. And the fact that I don't have to leave my house to go see them, hey, that rocks too. So hey, that's a bonus. I'm ready. I'm ready for more Knives Out, Ryan. Give, it, give them to me. All right. Moving on to our second story here. Knives Out may have a $40 million budget, but uh, Godzilla versus Kong definitely did not. It had a $165 million budget, but thankfully it's making enough money back that it might not be an issue. Godzilla versus Kong brought in $71 million in international markets, including a strong $44 million debut in China, bringing its global total right now to $285 million. So that's 285 uh, international over the $165 billion budget. Sounds like a hit. Like Except at least that's, it's got to break even though at 300. I think it'll get million. there. It'll get there. I think it'll get there. It'll that's get just to break even though. Um, so safe to say it's going to be a positive? Oh yeah, I, I, I believe so. That money, that movie will make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and let that start a whole bunch of bits in the international world this week. International bits. Our next international bit stays in China as Chinese authorities have declared that every cinema in China must schedule and actively promote at least two screenings screenings of propaganda films per week beginning this week until the end of the year. This is in efforts to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the ruling Communist Party's founding on July 1st. So, of course, you're probably thinking at home, aren't most films in China propaganda films? Because don't they just strip out 
elements that they don't like in everything that they release there? And the answer is yes. <laughs> well, yes and no. Um, there is the trying to dissolve 10 international films or mm -hmm. American films into its theaters. But for the most part, most of their in-house, in-house, um, Chinese movies have to be pro-China right. within it in order to get funding from the government. Yeah. Now, if we were to do this here, it'd just be some type of Michael Bay movie marathon. I was just going to say it was be it would be all the Marvel movies back to back. Maybe that's uh, too pithy. No, too I'll Top Gun, <laughs> Fourth, or Independence Day. Uh, Transformers seems very American. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he had it with Michael Bay, I guess. Yep. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, it's it's hard to be too surprised by this because this is just how their party operates over there. They're going to try to do everything they can to make sure that their audiences get the message that living in China is great and everything's great here and what could possibly be going wrong? Yes, but also note the, the language is that it's uh, two screenings per week. Yeah. So if you put this these two screenings on a like, Sunday at 10 yeah, a.m., right when two, you open, yeah. you technically count it for the week. Yeah, you probably could. Most people probably won't even realize that this happened. Mm -hmm. Our next bit takes us to Italy, as they have officially abolished film censorship by scrapping legislation that since 1913 has allowed the government to censor scenes and ban movies theatrical releases. Now, while I was talking, uh, while I was reading this, you gave giant air quotes. Uh, what were you putting those around? Uh, these giant air quotes are around uh, technically censorship and <laughs> the government censoring scenes. Because even though this was written in their law since 1913, hasn't really been practiced since uh, about 1960-ish. Yeah, I imagine it's probably one of those things where it's like over years, over the years, it's probably eroded so much that nobody even realizes it's still the law. And so this was probably the last step of that, which is just like, hey, you know what? Let's actually change this because we haven't been paying attention to it in decades. Right. But it's also kind of like one of those laws where it's still considered censorship in every sense of the word and government has the law on their side if they want to enforce it. Right. This just completely gets rid of that option for them. Which they haven't smart. exercised in years. Yeah. So, win-win? I, I guess. think so. Probably about time. And maybe it'll influence other probably stricter countries to maybe consider their laws too. I doubt Italy is the only one with these old things still on the books. Right. Even though they're not practiced, they're still on the books. Our next bit takes us over to South Korea well, with Korean, I'm guessing South Korea. You don't specify here, but I always assume that it's not North. <laughs> yes, it's uh, always a South <laughs> yes. because no one, nothing ever leaves North Korea. It's true. <laughs> Korean actress Yoon Yo Jing, Yoon Yoo Jing probably. Yoo Jung. Yoo Jung, I was close took home Best Female Actor in a Supporting Role at the SAG Awards for the, her role in Minari, becoming the first Korean actress to win that category and any individual motion picture category. So congratulations. That's if you remember last year, Parasite won the ensemble category. 
but no one won the individual category. Um, now, also, she... of, also of note, what I was going to say was, if you stop interrupting me, okay, you stopped. <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. Um, Sandra O oh, uh, has won for the individual TV category, but not for any um, individual motion picture film category. Makes sense. Also why it's uh, of note. Real quick question. It, what, what I was going to ask was, um, is she nominated for the Oscar? Yes. Okay. Um, also, she's going up against um, Borat 2 actress. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that too much. <laughs> I wouldn't either, but hey, Stranger Things have happened. <laughs> and you know how much I don't like Stranger Things. Yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is, Oh, speaking of which, real quick, I know we're not on TV yet, but did you catch the Stranger Things joke on Keenan two weeks ago? Yes, that's why I made the joke. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably my favorite joke that they made uh, on that show so far. By the way, that show is still good. Yes. I feel like okay. it's getting better every week. I'm, I just, yeah, I'm just amazed with how good that first season is, like, of yes. that show. Uh, my love for Keenan has risen while mm -hmm. my love of Young Rock has completely depleted. I literally thought after that last episode that this, um, yes, or not last night's, but the last week's, I'm like, why am I still watching this? Yes. I had that moment, so I might, I might bail on it. Um, but we're jumping the gun. How dare we talk about television yet? <laughs> Before that, we have to talk about movie thoughts. Did you see any movies this week? Uh, no, but to wrap up the SAG Awards, um, mm. as I mentioned, Charles of Chicago 7 won for Best Ensemble. Um, Chadwick Boseman won posthumously for his role right. in uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I expect him to yep. win the yep. Academy Award for it. This is this is us basically telling you who your are are the acting favorites are right now. So take notes for your yes. Oscar pools. I mean, we're gonna go over them when, when the week we of the there. Oscars yeah. as well. Uh, let's see. I think that was it. Or those are the big ones. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> That's right. We, you know, look that up in the background. In the meanwhile, I yeah. have some wrap up from last week. I too have now watched um, Godzilla vs Kong. I keep wanting to call it Kong versus Godzilla. Yes. And now, after seeing it, I get why you said that. Right. Um, okay. Very... Real briefly, I can wrap yeah. that up right now. Okay. Here. All right. Uh, Catherine O'Hara finished the sweep. That's right for Shit's Creek. Yep. Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. Yes. <laughs> um, Shit's Creek also uh, yes. won for best TV ensemble, yep. wrapping that up as well. Yep. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya for best yep. supporting actor. Yep. And Viola Davis did win for best actress okay. in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay, that checks out. Yep. Those are probably what I would have said. Yep. Oh, and media um, boat favorite Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso winning for best yes. actor. Um, so expect a lot more of Ted Lasso. I'm so excited to see how that does in Emmy season because they've earned it, man. Yep. And awesome. now they don't have a whole lot of comedy to compete against. Yeah, no, not really. I wish it's Creek. Uh, yeah, out of the running. Out of it. Wide so, open race, everybody. So Kong versus Godzilla. 
because that's what this movie was so yeah i think you underplayed it last week when you were talking about how it's it's more even-handed so i went in expecting it to be equally about kong and godzilla now this is about kong this is his story is his character arc in fact where i kind of landed on this movie was maybe less effusive than you were well maybe actually we're about on the same level because i feel like people have been talking about how great this thing is I ended up not being super impressed by it. Um, it's not a bad movie, but it's very, very telling when you have so many characters that are all going through all this stuff and you're supposed to care about what they're going through. And the and you come out on the other side and the only, only th- uh, thing you're thinking about is, oh, I'm glad Kong is happy now. Oh, <laughs> Godzilla and him are friends now minor spoiler but yeah whatever and and like i came out on the other end is like wow i only care about the monsters Mm -hmm. which you know maybe is the point i'm not really sure so yeah i i guess last week when i was trying to try to get out of you whether or not that there was some sort of man versus like whether there was some sort of symbology there with man being part of the fight too after seeing the movie i realized what you were trying to obfuscate by that conversation yes. and so now i realize oh no it's not trying to do shit um it's <laughs> literally this is a movie that is a roller coaster ride but a very simple roller coaster that is just rising action until the last 30 minutes that's what this movie is you could cut out the fight scene in the last 30 minutes of this film make it its own short and that's all you need. Literally, you don't need any of the plot to enjoy that last 30 minutes. You, for the fight, you don't need very much context. I no, guess you, you maybe just let need, them fight. Yeah, I guess you mean need maybe like a couple of like bits of plot things uh, just to understand the mechanics of a few things that are happening. But beyond that, you do, did not need an hour plus of setup. Nope. So... I'm kind of split on this movie. I get why people are enjoying it. The fight scenes are spectacular. The special effects, spectacular. If those are the reasons why you want to see this, absolutely go see this. I can't imagine what it looked like in a theater. It looked beautiful on my television. This was big, dumb popcorn flick. Mm -hmm. And if I could go to a movie theater and have a big tub of popcorn and eat it, yeah, I'd be happy with this movie too. That being said, though, I felt kind of empty by the end of it because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. That was a good 30 minutes of something. But like, I felt like the rest of it just wasted my time. I got the same feeling from Pacific Rim 2. Yeah, I heard that. Though. Where the big fights were beautiful and I liked it. It was everything in between and character interaction that kind of mm-hmm. fell flat for me. So I don't know. It's it's fun. Uh, if you have, I would say I don't think it's a go see it in theaters, of course, especially now. But just general, even if it was a theatrical release in a normal non-pandemic time, I would still probably say that maybe don't spend the money. But it's a great movie to put on a streaming service if you have HBO Max, and just have on, and if you are interested in this kind of action, uh, because it delivers on those counts. So as long as you're going in expecting what you're getting, you'll be fine. But if you go in being like, uh, 
what are these people? What's the plot here? Why do I care? You're going to completely hate it because every step of the way, it's reminding you that it does not care about any of the humans involved. <laughs> Did you notice the big plot hole that Godzilla provided in order to get <laughs> Kong to the final fight? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that. There's a lot yes. of that in this movie. There's a lot of you ha- can't think about it too long because then the whole thing just... You know, it falls through the earth, you could say. Wi-Fi charging. <laughs> Very convenient. Super convenient. Very yeah. noticeable. I'm glad that our hero remembers every single, as I texted you, remembers everything he's told over the course of the... Because if he had forgotten that one line that was said once to him hours ago in the film, who knows what would have happened? Don't forget, there's always a podcast... <laughs> That's a new. Th- that's a new thing. There's someone's yes. always got a podcast for everything now. Every movie now will have a plot, a podcast as a plot point because it's super convenient. Yeah, podcaster is also. I'm not sure if you got it, but the first act of this thing had major Jurassic Park vibes for me. Having yeah. recently watched rewatched Jurassic Park, I was like, "Oh my god, guy who works at the company." check like doing sneaky stuff check Mm -hmm. like person obsessed outside of the company obsessed unites with company guy i was like this is feeling like a lot it's hitting a lot of jurassic park beats here good i mean it's a good deal still from the best absolutely yeah no i mean jurassic park is one of the best action movies of all time for a reason it works and i maybe wish that the rest of the movie at least when it had to do with humans was closer to jurassic park because i like the characters in jurassic park i can't tell you a damn thing about the characters in this movie <laughs> i don't even know who that lead guy is i don't know what his name is uh brian tyree <laughs> that guy uh no, he's in Atlanta. The, um, no not not i mean not paperboy <laughs> that's a good point because he should be the lead of this film, right? But no, they want you to believe it's. You, it wants. I was talking about the white dude. Oh, yeah, uh, exactly. Sarsgard, Mister. Okay, yeah, Mister Forgettable guy. Like he, ostensibly, he's the star, right? I guess maybe, or is the woman the star, or is Millie Bobby Brown the star? I don't know. Who can say? <laughs> well, I mean, because it starts off with Rebecca <laughs> Hall and the kid, and then Act Two completely like nullifies them well no because the kid has to be there throughout the movie because she is a walking plot device yeah she has a purpose if you lose the kid you lose the ability to do a thing that you need to do to keep the plot going so yeah it it did the thing that i hate now that you've seen it where it literally (laughs) drags the protagonist everywhere yes they have to they have to literally drag him everywhere. <laughs> anyway, uh, poor it sounds, I have to say, it sounds like we're shitting on it, but it's not bad. It's not a bad action movie. It's a decent action movie. It's definitely better than, like, say, those Michael Bay Transformers movies. Yes. It's not incom- incomprehensible. It makes sense when you get to the fight scenes, and the fight scenes are coherent to make sense. It's just the path to get there is tedious, I guess, is what I would say. And so that's why I'm not super, like, super recommendia about it. But it's, it's an all right time. Yeah. I mean, 
Like anyway. said, it's a popcorn flick. It's yeah. put it on because it's big and dumb. Expect this to be played on FX and TV, yeah. mm-hmm. sci-fi weekend, movie monster this is weekend a movie, somewhere. You know what this is? This is a movie that you have on in the background during a party. That's what yes. this movie is. Where every once in a while, when they start fighting, then everybody will like look to the TV and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Kong, get his ass!" And then they'll go back to the party. And then once it's over, it's like, anyways, what I was saying was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> once right. you once you see, Kong, all right, who like, wants beer okay, now? He's knocked out. We're good. Getting chips. Yep. Uh huh. Exactly. Pizza's that is exactly here. how I imagine. Oh, this God, still I can't happening. When people are again. allowed to have parties again, when we can have when parties are, again. Yes, we can have parties again. Pizza, beer, Godzilla versus Kong. All right. <laughs> That's my poster. That's my poster. Pizza, beer, Godzilla versus Kong. All right. Let's move on because we have a lot more to talk about. Let's move on to television. And we always start television with the sports corner. And if you see the sky is parting above you, that's because there was one shining moment. Oh, one shining moment. Did you watch me now? So I was not watching this uh, uh, because I, I was told, watching the Angels game. Yes, but I told you when one shining moment would appear. But you did tell me when it happened. And uh, so, I, yeah, I looked it up right away. And sure enough, number one seed Baylor won the NCAA Men's Championship. And it is their first time winning. So my understanding is that they kicked out Gonzaga Who? to win. Yes. Um, you're really underselling it, too. Because... Mm-hmm. That game was not the game to watch. No, it was Gonzaga, number one Gonzaga versus number 11 UCLA. Right. Yeah, you laugh and snicker, but that game went to overtime. <laughs> UCLA was about to put it into double overtime until <laughs> Suggs on Gonzaga hit a half court shot to win the game. Nice. Unfortunately, they used all their magic there, so they didn't win the championship. <laughs> Thus, join the ranks of Tom Brady. Not a number of championships they won, but in only having one loss in a season. That's right, Tom Brady. Never forget. (laughs) Rough. Uh, Rough So, yeah, instead of. So, I mean, history was going to be made either way. Either Gonzaga was going to win and reign undefeated for a season. Ast- maybe asterisk season because COVID. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or Baylor was going to win. It's going to be their first championship. Yeah. So and there then you go. Spoil Gonzaga's victory there. So congratulations, Baylor. Yeah. Congratulations, uh, well Baylor men. Yep. Meanwhile, the women, number one seed Stanford won the NCAA Women's Championship. Uh, first since 1992. Yep. Uh, congratulations, uh, Lady yeah. Cardinals. That's always been a good program over there. Always top four. But, yeah, I mean, you can be eat to the final four every year for the last mm-hmm. eight years, but if you don't win it, does it really matter? Yeah. So, congratulations. Well-deserved. Congratulations. Meanwhile, in other sports, Major League Baseball made a major move this week in reaction to the anti uh well the exclusionary i guess i will say exclusionary voting laws that were passed in the state of georgia and they moved the all-star game right out of there in response 
Uh, it cost them $150 million in Atlanta tourism. And they're moving the game to Colorado to, uh, I guess, uh, hang out with that cat that's hanging out on the field over there. You see that cat? <laughs> oh, that was awesome. <laughs> that Maine Coon cat. Yeah, it's fluffy. I just wanted to, just want to, like that. Yes. Anyway. Um, this does mean that for the home run derby, expect long balls for the home run derby. <laughs> yes. Because yes. Colorado is high altitude. Yes. And yeah, balls go flying out of that stadium. I was just reading about that last night. I kind of went into a w- baseball Wikipedia hole last night. I was just reading about stadiums. Yeah. You know I'm doing that when I'm older, right? <laughs> you go to all of them? All of them. Uh, oh. RV in the summer. Yeah, yeah, that'll be nice. Yep. 30 stadiums in 30 days. You can do it. You can do, do it. it. Anyway. So yeah, um, I think a lot of people like were kind of surprised by this, seeing as unlike the NBA, Major League Baseball is not super seen as a very progressive organization that would make this kind of call. So it's nice to see uh, them making such a big statement. Um, of course, people in Atlanta are not happy about this, but hey, what do you expect? Which people? The senators who <laughs> made this happen? Yeah, uh, who they probably have no statement to say about it. Uh, yeah, obviously, um, we don't need to tell you that that, uh, I mean, yeah, people are angry outside about it, apparently. Um, my window is open because it's a very nice day today, so I apologize for the noise. Uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, voting laws that were enacted. Right. Um, we should say that they suck and it's awful. Um, and what they suck, too, it's weird to enact voting laws directly from an election in which there was in which if you consider it to be one of the safest elections ever why are you right now doing this very contradictory um also taking a lot of power out of people's hands and putting it into a republican-led state legislature this was this is just you know this is part of part and parcel of a larger uh conservative conservative agenda making it harder for people to vote because as was proven in Georgia last year, is the more people that vote, the more likely they're vote, voting for progressive causes, the more likely they vote Democrat. And that party obviously does not want to see it. So they're going to try to do these in probably all sorts of different states now that this one passed. This is not the end. It's going to get worse. So stay vigilant. If you're in a red state or a red leaning state, keep an eye out on laws like this because they're out there and there's going to be more anyway but we're not a political podcast we're not a political podcast we just dip our toe every once in a while yes. uh, but anyway. yes, um, this was also part and parcel news because mlb opening day yes since we last spoke baseball has started in earnest uh we'll talk about a little bit more about baseball in a little bit yeah, let's just get to that right now yeah, I guess we can cover it now. So yeah, uh, one of the big stories in baseball right now is about the Houston Astros, or as like we we like to call them, the asterisks, or as you have here, the trash tros. All sort of different uh, creative names. Obviously, this is all because of a couple of years ago, the cheating scandal, which we talked about here on the podcast, sign stealing at all. 
And uh, we're already seeing the feedback from fans now that fans are back in the stands for these games. Yes, if you remember, this came out in December of 2019 and was basically rolled right into 2020, the beginning of 2020, where suspensions were handed out to managers yes. who were involved. Nothing was involved with the players. The players did not get suspended. The players did not get fined. The players did not have their championship removed from them. Right. I think the biggest thing that came out of it was Alex Cora, who had moved on to the uh, Red Sox, mm-hmm. was let go of as manager right. for that season because he was yeah. hired on immediately Only after that season ended. Rehired immediately. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, as you might imagine, this has caused a lot of consternation among fans of other teams that feel like they were slighted. Most notably, the LA Dodgers. Uh, even though they won the World Series, you know, they're still bitter. You can't blame them. Um, so, our local team here, the Angels, some Dodgers fans and some Angels fans, I think there were uni- unity among the two fan bases, uh, gathered in the uh, Big A this week to show their distaste for the Astros as they had a two-game series against the Angels in the last couple of days. And show their anger, they did. There were plenty of very creative signs, uh, but none more creative than somebody throwing an inflatable trash can on the field. Later in the same game, followed by a real trash can thrown on the field. Uh, obviously, they had the usual you know, person on the speaker say, hey, stop doing that uh, in order to not encourage this to happen more widely. But of course, the trash can being a reference to one of the many tools they use to steal signs in the sign stealing. Yes, the banging of the trash cans, mm-hmm. thus the cleverly titled name Houston Trastros. So yeah, not only that, but yeah, you also saw like her constant booing for more for the big star players on the Astros whenever they came up to bat. Yeah, I mean this is not going to stop anytime soon. Every stop in their tour, I'm sure as the season goes on, they're going to encounter angry fans. This is just this is not unique just to Southern California, even though the Dodgers have a unique beef. Uh it's going to continue, I'm sure. Yes, um, it'll definitely continue with interdivisional play. Um, not only did this happen against the Angels, it also happened yes. against the Oakland Athletics. Right, in their first series. In their first series. Um, so this will continue for sure with interdivisional play. Mm-hmm. Um, they do play the Dodgers twice, um, once at in Houston and once in L.A. Yeah. Uh, later out in the year, so... So we'll see how that goes. to those, um, <laughs> if any players decide to um, get beamed from pitchers or any balls get loosed or yeah. if trash cans get thrown on the field yet again, um, yeah. I expect high security for those games. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the yeah, stadium is um, going to be locked 2020, down. because there were no fans mm-hmm. allowed. It happened. This never happened, and the players kind of got away through it for a year, kind of unscathed. But the fans don't forget is the no. thing that they no. weren't anticipating, and they're still mad. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I was supposed to go to that home opening game. I was supposed to. Go. to I was supposed to go too, and I, so I was looking at this stuff happening. I was like, man, I could have been there. Alternate universe version of last year that would have. I would have been. 
first row, like front row seat for this thing, practically. But that being said, um, I did get day one <laughs> calendar. Ooh. So I have all this set up already. Nice. Cool. Yes. Um, anyway. Yes. And uh, lastly, in um, really personal baseball news. Yeah. Personal because it really only affects us as Angels fans. But the curse of the buttery is gone. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Ty Buttery, uh, one of our one of our um, lacking pitchers, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, yeah, he is no longer with the team. Uh, not only is he no longer with the team, he took the Andrew Luck route and retired yes. at retired the eight. The story uh, that uh, went alongside that is very telling too. Basically, he's just talking about how he doesn't think the game is fun anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, that will happen when you're 8 and 11 <laughs> over the course of six years. Um, on the flip side of that, I do want to, the last bit in uh, uh, Major League Baseball talk I want to talk about actually is kind of a big story, even if it is about our local team. Uh, so so it, trust me here, this is not me indulging again with another Angel-specific story, but uh, Shohei Otani is making yes. waves as kind of throughout the league right now because He's back to pitching uh, this season, and not only is he back, but he's got a stellar start. Um, yeah, he got the start on Sunday um, in the first inning alone. Granted, yeah. one inning is six outs, both mm-hmm. top and bottom. In that one inning, not only did he throw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, mm-hmm. He also hit a home run exit velocity of 115 miles an hour. So, yeah, uh, needless to say, uh, this caught on and became a headline uh, throughout baseball. And, yeah, so um, it's looking pretty good for uh, Mr. Otani uh, this this year. I mean, it was until the sixth inning when that asshole ran into him. But the good news is, is that minor collision does not affect him. He's not hurt. He came right back and uh, hit another good game uh, just a day later. So Yes, unlike San Diego Padres player Tatis, <laughs> who, if you saw this, yes. fell on the ground after a big swing. Non-contact injury, mm-hmm. but he swung so powerful, he tore his arm out. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do that dislocated folks. his arm i think was the official diagnosis after it was done but i saw some people saying is the uh, uh, uh asking if there was an mlb the show curse <laughs> i'm like i don't know maybe yes. there is now we'll get to mlb um, the show later we'll get to later uh but before we do let's move off from baseball even though i could talk about it for the rest of this section um <laughs> instead let's talk yeah you're about, a baseball fan now yeah you got me you know what this like i said that this podcast was a long con well it worked at least for <laughs> one sport so far because i'm in it i'm in it now i have watched every single game <laughs> you're in it. every single game of every team just specifically of one team but still i did not see this coming for me uh, at this point uh thankfully there's no game today so <laughs> i'm not like you know constantly looking over that may change future wednesdays um but but yeah um we'll see how it goes anyway let's move on to other sports uh because we're still not done with the sports corner believe it or not yeah that's just baseball meanwhile in professional football so many nfl trades that we have we only can care uh, cover a few of them 
well, top three picks of the draft are shaping up to be quarterback picks. Yep, and the um, most recent year where all first round quarterback picks were on the same team is 2020. Uh, so <laughs> this is following news that Sam Darnold got traded off of the Jets right, right. to Carolina. Um, this also means that in 2019, quarterback Dwayne Haskins on the Washington football team, he was previously traded earlier to the Pittsburgh Pi- or Steelers, Pirates, baseball, Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> which means that 2020, literally last year's draft, is the only draft with the first-round quarterback still on their same team. Everyone else has been – at least one player has been traded or moved. Um, with the Sam Darnold trade with the Jets, they traded away their pick there as well. Right. In a multi-team trade to Houston, and then ultimately San Francisco has landed there. <laughs> this leads up to the third point here, that the yes. Atlanta Falcons, with the fourth overall pick, have decided that they're going to open up the ability for someone else to get their <laughs> quarterback there i'm confused unfortunately that's where it ends <laughs> yeah because at the number fifth pick is last year's number one pick or uh yeah the cincinnati Bengals, who mm. got the number one guy there got it sounds like a mess is, is what i would say total mess this is why we <laughs> don't cover it on a weekly basis yeah because it's too much to it's too much too to much handle. to dwell on But, of course, the big headline, though, in football this week is not a good one. Deshaun Watson is in trouble after multiple women have come out against him for sexual assault, resulting in his Nike uh, endorsement uh, being suspended and just his whole, you know, thing being a little muddied now. Um, If I read correctly, if uh, if this was the correct headline, 16 women have come out at this point. Is that where we're at right now? I think that's where we're at. Yikes! That's a big yikes. Uh, what the hell were you doing? Is uh, kind of my reaction. Um, not great. Nope. Um, definitely not great, especially since he's looking for a trade out of Houston right now. <laughs> I would say Houston's probably looking to get him out as fast as possible <laughs> at this point. Um, he's going to have a hard time, I think, finding a home after this. Mm, he may have to take a backup position. And, but hopefully he just disappears. Yeah, that's, that's that's the ideal scenario i think here is i don't know if anybody wants to play with this guy i sure wouldn't at this point right but then again richie incognito has a job <laughs> that's had a job. true that's a good point i don't know he was on the raiders so yeah and and we and all wish that he would just become incognito and he didn't yes. so and yeah that, we'll do it we'll do for it. the sports corner uh, Any other sports before a uh, wrap up before we move into television news? Yes. Um, ESPN analyst and former NBA player Paul Pierce was fired from ESPN after doing an ESPN live or not ESPN after doing an Instagram live stream where he had some strippers in the background. <laughs> okay. So they fired him like the next All day. Right. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Maybe keep in mind what you do uh, when you're the face of a company like that. Yeah, uh, Paul Pierce is not the face of the company, but he but is a very recognizable star. A face, yes. But again, he's also retired from the NBA with millions of dollars. Yeah. Doesn't really need the ESPN gig, but there. And again, 
ESPN doesn't obviously need him anymore either. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy your strippers, Paul, <laughs> I guess is what I'll say. Let's move on to television news. And the first story is a bit of a throwback for you. Hey, remember John Stewart? You mean the guy who fought for 9-11 uh, first responders? Yeah, in more recent years. Uh, also the face of The Daily Show on Comedy Central for so many years. He hasn't done that since 2016. Yeah, and uh, since 2016, a lot of people have been wondering what's next for him. Uh, the answer to that has been, as you said, advocating for uh, first responders. Also, uh, he uh, directed a movie that nobody has watched on HBO Max. Um, I forget what the name of it, but it's about like a political strategist. Um, it's like a rom-com thing. Yes, clearly if you forgot about it, it does not exist. <laughs> It's real. It's real. Trust me. Anyways, uh, but besides that, uh, there's been rumblings over the years about him making a deal to show back up in some form for a political show in the form of his old show. And uh, finally, finally, has finally happened after talks about HBO picking him up or Netflix picking him up. Now he's landed at Apple TV Plus for a television show this fall titled The Problem with Jon Stewart. The specifics are being tightly guarded, uh, but what we do know is the show will see Stewart dive into a new current affair issue per episode. Sounds familiar? Yeah, that sounds a lot like last week tonight now, doesn't it? Yes, this, which uh, his, prede- uh, his predecessor? Yeah, successor. His successor of sorts. Uh, his, uh, uh, yeah, at his one, cons- at one time, second uh, in command. Daily show correspondent. Yeah, for John a little bit Oliver. there, John Oliver. Um, but unlike Last Week Tonight, the show won't be weekly or nightly or anything like that. Instead, it's going to take the more loosey-goosey Oprah interview approach and premiere new episodes as it sees fit in order to thrust its service into the national dialogue. Each season of The Problem will feature a companion podcast as well. And I think making this a unique format is probably really smart uh, because now... I think is a unique time where there are so many shows that are trying to do the daily show format that to do just another one of those would get lost in the shuffle, even with the strength of John Stewart's name. I don't think he wants to work on also a daily show. <laughs> Weekly yeah. show? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but maybe not even that. Maybe not even that anymore. Um, but yeah, I think because John, or not John Oliver, because John Stewart uh, was such a advocate for the 9-11 first responders in his years following the daily show that surely there's other more pressing needs similar Mm -hmm. to that that he can use his power to voice and get the word out for it yeah Uh, so yeah i'm i'm of two minds about this um i enjoyed his run on the daily show uh back in the day i feel like as time has gone on his approach um maybe doesn't work in the world of politics as well as it did back then and i feel like a show like last week tonight is probably a better example of what you should be doing with that kind of show uh but hey who knows what he has planned here he's generally a guy with some good ideas maybe some of them haven't aged super well but some of them have and so it would be really interesting to see how he in his unique style would tackle some of this um, so yeah, I mean, I'll check it out. I'll give it a shot. Um, I'm just hoping that um, he's taking notes with the ways that um, his 
predecessors, his, you know, like the shows that have come after him have tackled it in a new way. Your Seth Meyers, your Samantha Bees, your, your John Olivers. I want to see him be like, okay, what can I do to add to this instead of just doing the same thing? So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Might be good to see John Stewart back on a TV. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people will be excited to see him back regardless. Moving on. We have a little bit of cartoon bits for you. Some animated bits. Yeah. Cartoons. Yes. Cartoon cartoons. The home of the cartoon 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 network, specifically cartoon network studios Europe is getting renamed to Hanna-Barbera Studios Europe. But don't worry, nothing else of matter will change. The unit will be led by Sam Register, if that name sounds familiar, it sure does to me. He is the president of WB Animation and Cartoon Network Studios. His name is literally all over everything they do now. Um, I saw it pop up uh, when I was watching that Harley Quinn show. I saw it pop up recently when I was uh, watching Close Enough. Uh, He's everywhere. Uh, anything that Warner touches animation-wise, he's involved. Yeah, not sure why they changed it to Hanna-Barbera Studios. There was nothing mention of it, mm. but I think it might be a legacy thing. Yeah, might be a legacy thing. Just maybe that name has more cachet in Europe than it does here. Maybe, um, because possibly. speaking of legacy, we didn't mention movies, yes. but Space Jam, a new legacy. Trailer well, came out. I feel like we don't need to talk about it pre-release and then when it does come out, that's when we'll talk about it. Oh yeah, that's what we'll talk about it. But the Hanna-Barbera references in that trailer is what reminded me that one, that trailer exists now. (laughs) It's out there if you want to see it. Oh boy. I guess while we're at it, there was also another new trailer for the new Ghostbusters. Was the subtitle Afterlife? Yeah, it's Ghostbusters colon Afterlife. Also came out today. And I feel about the same about both of those movies, as I guess what it'll say. Yeah, also, Paul Rudd's 52. <laughs> Paul Rudd's 52, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, another animation bits for you. On the flip side, Disney is launching 20th Century Animation, which, of course, makes sense. That's 20th um, Television Animation. Sorry, yes, 20th Anna- Television Animation, which does what it says on the tin. No surprise there focuses exclusively on adult animation with oversight on current series The Simpsons, Family Guy, Bob's Burgers, and American Dad, in addition to upcoming new series. It will, headed, it will be headed up by Marcy Proietto, who is a 29-year Fox veteran. It's a long time. And worked on 2,440 episodes across 22 different series. Long-tenured pro, which uh, uh, is a good pick. Yep, was hired as a production assistant right out of college, and she never left. <laughs> yeah, one of those success stories you don't see a whole lot of. Yep. Um, but yeah, this is not surprising that Disney would want to have a team solely designed to focus on those shows, as they are very successful, have a big legacy, and will never end, all of them. <laughs> so, makes sense. Yep, uh, might be interested to see what kind of new series yeah they disney wants to throw out there we'll see what they do uh meanwhile human cartoon character <laughs> guy fieri has signed a new 3d year deal with food network so if you're worried that guy was going to go anywhere don't worry don't you fret he's still going to be around uh yeah he's been around for get this i might age you a bit mm-hmm. 20 years now <laughs> on food network channel 
Yeah. <laughs> Blows your mind a little bit. Uh, yeah, he first premiered as part of uh, their show, The Before Next Star, Star, right? Star. Yeah. Uh, for their second season. Won it, obviously. And has yet to leave. So, once again, <laughs> another long tenured employee. Yeah. Goes to show you, we only need nine more years to get that equal title. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations to Guy. I hope he got a little bit of a bonus there and uh, look forward to seeing more Guy. Yes, I think it's said he'll be developing a new series exclusively for Discovery Plus. Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, Food Network kind of runs on reruns for yeah. Guy Fieri. <laughs> More content for Discovery Plus, right? Yes. All right. Let's move out of those bits and talk about some, some thoughts. You watched something on the old HBO. Uh, something concluded on the old HBO. Yes. Uh, Q, colon, Into the Storm. Uh-oh. They got you. Uh, they got Q. Oh. So. Um, Q didn't get you, who, though. Yes. Importantly. No. Not, okay. no, not quite. <laughs> no. But no, you learned a lot about Q because that's what this is, right? It's a documentary about this whole QAnon conspiracy uh, that some people have fallen deep into. Yes, it's a follows, it's a documentary filmmaker who directed, written, starred, produced, mm-hmm. um, started in 2017 in his quest to discover who Q is. Who is Q? This Who is Q? kind of uh, an- anonymous team. Anonymous. No, it's not anonymous because it's anonymity as well. <laughs> an enemy, got it. A- a- he's also an enemy too. So <laughs> anon- see, anonymity is the... Manatees. Manatees. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Earned it. So yeah, this whole kind of like <laughs> Q a non-conspiracy theory that kind of took over the geopolitical um, climate of this past election and kind of infiltrated the Republican uh, Party in the U.S. And kind of what is it, who is it, and why is this here kind of thing? Basically, what the documentary starts out on a quest of discovering who Q is morphs into these Q tubers and Q believers and Q researchers and kind of putting everything has meaning into it, which for those in the religious sphere falls perfectly in line with that kind of thinking too, where everything has meaning. And so it's one man's quest to figure out who Q is and he goes into 4chan and 8chan and 8kun and basically dives himself <laughs> down the rabbit hole. I didn't even hole. know what that last one was. Oh, when A-Chan got... Uh, <laughs> it wasn't during the documentary, but when A-Chan got um, kicked off its servers, uh-huh. uh, 8-Kun was the... Uh, oh, no. Where they went? Where they went, yeah. Instead oh, of Parlor. Okay. Before Parlor. Before Parlor was a thing. And when I say went, I mean went. <laughs> because even in 4chan, they kicked everyone off there for hate speech. And so it, uh, it did kind of delve at parts into online speech and free speech and what is free speech and is free speech really free and is there such a thing as free speech when free speech crosses hate speech and free thinking ideas. Uh, it did get interesting 
And at the same time, it got like went right into conspiracy theories and trying to figure out who Q is and mm-hmm. who this person leading it is. And I think it does eventually nail who this person is. At least it does a really good job of setting it up. Yeah. Um, do I believe it? <laughs> Possibly. But then again, I didn't really follow it in the first place. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I only followed up until like last year when I started seeing it pop up everywhere in politics. Right, right. Which is a big part of the. A lot of people kind of glommed onto yeah. it. And then, especially in in a pandemic situation where you're trying to do research on trying to do your own research instead of listening to the experts because mm-hmm. it's literally their job and you're trying to outdo 20 years worth of experience in two hours good luck <laughs> you're gonna try and find ideas that line up with your own ideas of what you think might happen and that's how a lot of this gets as they say red pilled and you fall down this rabbit hole and kind of consumes you and i think in watching this series the one thing i can take out of it is that people really want to believe in things even if they're wrong yeah 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 even if they're wrong even if everyone tells them they're wrong the people and not just saying that only q people but just people in general in general want to believe it not only in something bigger than themselves, but also want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And that's where a lot of conspiracy theories kind of begin in mm-hmm. not just questioning your thinking, but trying to be a part of a bigger echelon than what you are. Because if you look around your world and say, is this it? This can't possibly be it. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to want to seek more and in seeking more yeah you can kind of seek into what you want to see things where there might not be any meaning there and yeah it's yeah kind of a fascinating look i expect to see this in documentary award season come around for emmys mm-hmm. not necessarily for oscars because it's on no because it's yeah it's not a one piece thing. it's definitely a good think piece yeah, no. That so you would you recommend this for anybody who's like had maybe seen the term Q or QAnon and then probably w- and wants to know what more about it? Is this good like educational tool? Now that it's complete, yes. Yeah. Um, had I talked about this in the first two when they only premiered the first two episodes? No. Probably not because then you'd want to go and do your own research and maybe right. you'd get sucked down that rabbit hole as well. Yeah. But so now that yeah. it's complete, um, I think it's six episodes, each an hour long. So six hours of your time, you can break it up however you want. Mm-hmm. But it's complete. I think it does a good job of determining who Q is and of how it kind of got infiltrated into the Republican Party mm-hmm. for this past election in politics. Well, I mean, you combine, you know, people's innate need, like you said, to be part of something bigger with a nationwide pandemic where they're trapped and they need to feel like they they are outside of their homes and probably just adds fuel to that fire, right? To a certain extent. Yeah. So it's not super surprising that it got to its peak of popularity recently. Right. And it's also kind of that sense of 
wanting to control things and trying to understand things when sometimes you just don't understand it. You just can't, or you're not in no position to understand things. But well, it's it's a very interesting look into that kind of mindset in society. And like I said, it does kind of provide a definitive proof of who Q is at the end. You just have to get through all six episodes to get there. If you just watch the last episode, you'll be totally confused and wondering why why this person. Yeah. But it does a good job setting it up over the six hours. Cool. So that's Q, Into the Storm. And that's on HBO. But if you have HBO Max, that's also available there. So yes. cool beans. All right. Let's move on. Anything else? I did not. Just the usuals. Um, nothing new this week. So. All right. Uh, I did. I'm not, it's not written down here, but I did watch the first episode of Pooch Perfect. Okay, all right. And it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. It's uh, face-off Lego Masters mm-hmm. reality camp, uh, reality competition style where they do a first look for the first two hours, and then there's the main look for determine who's best in show. Except it's dogs. Except it's all key. dogs and dog it's groomers. It's key here. Yeah, it's key. dog grooming. Yes, and Rebel, yeah, Rebel Wilson, Wilson is uh, there hosting it. Yep. But... <laughs> yeah, just like is? every reality competition out there, there's the quick heat first look main, uh, and then the second main event bigger competition. Right. Immunity first, big big show stopping second. Very typical uh, type of competition. If you like dogs, there's lots of puppies <laughs> out there. Lots of dogs for you. Lots of puppos and doggos and puppers. You know, they're so well, cute. But yeah, I don't have a dog, <laughs> so that's what, kind of why I watched it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Okay, well, I didn't watch anything else, so let's move on, why don't we, into cancellations and renewals. What am I no longer First, watching? I'll tell you what you're no longer watching and some things you still will be possibly watching. First up, Netflix has renewed Pacific Rim, colon, The Black. Speaking of Pacific Rim, for a second season. Oh, that's the animated version of Pacific Rim. Okay, I didn't even know this existed until just now. It exists. Meanwhile, speaking of animation, the Fox has made a couple of calls for their animated slate. Bless the hearts. Canceled after two seasons. Oh no, Maya Rudolph. Oh no. I think that was her show. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Then on the flip side of that, Duncanville gets the green light for a third season. So it looks like uh, they've said no to Bless the Hearts, but yes to Duncanville. So who could say? Disney Plus has canceled The Right Stuff after one season. So Uh, producers have said they want to shop around for a second season. But Disney is not interested. Disney's not interested. I don't see a reason for it to keep going on. No. I mean, it did the thing where it's yeah. <laughs> here's the first person in space. Cool. I mean, I guess you could follow the space program up until Neil Armstrong on the moon. But that could only get you three seasons at most, I think. Yeah, not a whole lot you can do there. Speaking of not a whole lot you can do, uh, Bravo thinks that there's still legs on the retooled current version of Project Runway as it's getting a 19th season. So uh, they'll keep chugging along 
with the current incarnation of that show. Anyway. Pass. Pass. <laughs> no Tim Gunn, no deals, what yes, I say. Yes, give me that uh, Heidi Klum yeah. making the cut. Right. If, if there's nobody saying make it work and nobody's saying all Zane, that's not Project Runway. Now to talk about deaths, we have a few here. Biff McGuire, age 94, actor, is in Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Thomas Crown Affair, Serpico. So a lot of work back in the 60s and 70s for Biff McGuire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 94, it's a long career. Ralph Shuckett, age 73, a musician, part of Utopia, and a composer of several animated films, including Pokemon, the first movie. Oh, beloved, beloved film. Yeah. Uh, the score, maybe not the most beloved part of that movie, for sure. Yes. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Next up, Paul Ritter, age 54. Dang, that's young. Actor, Friday Night Dinner, Chernobyl, no offense. Um, man, yeah, it's young. Mm-hmm. It's real rough. And Mark Elliott, age 81, voice of many Disney movie trailers. Now, I have a question for you. Is this the guy who did the coming soon to own for on D- Disney VHS and some DVD? Yes, it is. That guy? He Aww. is that guy. Man, I like that guy. Yes. Um, uh, he was in uh, several documentaries. Uh, I think it was yeah. You Know That Voice. Right, the right, movie right. Trailer voice. Um, yeah. In a world, I think it was in that movie as well. Yeah, but yeah, legend, legend. You know the voice. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Just the the way that he says "coming soon" is just it in my brain forever. Watching all those tapes growing up, those Disney tapes. <sighs> He'll be remembered. Live fondly with my childhood. Yes, for sure, and many childhoods for that matter. Speaking of living fondly, let's living fondly on the other side of this podcast in the music section as I toss this over to you. Yes, I want to start music with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100. And oh boy, is it hot in here? Like (laughs) Satan-level hot? Yeah, is it like hell or something? (laughs) Because number one, your hottest single in the land is Montero, Call Me By Your Name. By Lil Nas X. Yes, yes, this means Lil Nas X is no longer a one-hit wonder. No, he's a multiple-hit wonder at this point. He's probably not done. Probably not. Uh, at number two, Peaches by Justin Bieber, featuring Daniel Caesar and Givian. At three, Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. At four, Up, Up, Up by Cardi B. And rounding out your top five and i mean rounding it out by turning the corner (laughs) driver's license by olivia rodrigo that being said keep in mind though olivia rodrigo released a follow-up single this week called deja vu that i will not be shocked lands somewhere in the top five next week yes i will not be shocked either then again another song might be up there as well yeah we'll get there um, as for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, mm-hmm. your number one album, don't know who this is, literally first time reading this thing, <laughs> Soulfly by Rod Wave. Who is Rod Wave? 
I believe Rod Wave had a hit last year as well. I do remember reading his name a few times. He's been around. Well, he knocks off Justin Bieber, who falls number two Mm -hmm. uh, with Justice. At three, Clouds, the mixtape by NF. A lot of parentheses this week. Yes. (laughs) At four, I was actually going to listen to this album, and then I realized what it was. (laughs) I Savior by Carrie Underwood. Now, I wonder by the name My Savior what this possibly could be. Hmm, makes you think, doesn't it? Like, I have no idea. That name does not elicit any sort of response. If, if that name, I mean, one, <laughs> it was Easter this past weekend. Yeah, uh-huh. Two, it had Carrie Underwood with a huge cross on mm-hmm. uh, cross necklace on the front cover of it. Hmm. And three, yes, there were a lot of religious songs on this album just by looking at the list. So you're telling me that fitness is not Carrie, uh, Carrie Underwood's only religion? No, it is not. Okay. Got it. Uh, but yes, My Savior by Carrie Underwood. I guess only reaching number four on <laughs> Easter weekend. Hey, you know what? Those con- that country audience will get you um, a lot of uh, sway these days, as our number five will tell you. <laughs> yes, as number five is Dangerous, colon, the double album by... Morgan Wallen, but I Still guess they wanted to listen to Carrie Underwood more. Yeah, slightly more, just slightly, just probably. slightly more. <laughs> if you didn't like any of those albums, or you like to listen to something new, I we do. have new releases. All right, what am I listening to? Uh, well, I know what you're listening to, but here are the new releases. <laughs> it's one of them, that's for sure. Uh, first up, we have Roadrunner: colon, New Light, New Machine by. Brock Hampton. Yeah, remember Brockhampton? They're back. Hey, All 15 back. of them. <laughs> uh, we also have In Another World by Cheap Trick. Yes, yeah, that, that Cheap, cheap trick. trick. Still making <laughs> albums. But, but the album that's going to be topping billboards and <laughs> topping the Hot 100 is Fearless, yeah. Parentheses, Taylor's version. Yes. By Taylor Swift. Yes, yeah. that Taylor Swift. Yes, yes, that Fearless album. Yeah. And yes, these are the re-recorded masters that Taylor yes. owns. So, if you've been living, uh, uh, um, you may have been living under a rock for the last few months. If you have, yes. So this is basically. Fearless again, re-recorded, but then the real key here are the unreleased from the vault tracks. So since the news came out about this, Taylor has released two of those ahead of time. One, a um, the first one was a couple weeks ago at this point, and was a duet, duet. of sorts. Um, and this one uh, features. Uh, is this the one that features Keith Urban? Or is I that think another, so. The man in the suit one, not singing, but uh, doing some guitar. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it looks like. So I have not listened to the second one yet. I listened to the first one. Honestly, I'm not going to blow you away if if I tell you that it sounds like something that would have been a bonus track on Fearless because that's what these were. Um, so yeah, if you're expecting to be like, oh my god, a new Taylor Swift song, 
this is not exactly what you're going to get here. You're probably going to get a lot of really solid Taylor songs from that 2008-2009 era for songwriting. So go in expecting that. So this isn't going to be a world-shattering release, but it's doing, going to do well for her, I'm sure. Like you, like you said, it's probably going to be top of your charts next week. Um, uh, Love Story was already released, right. or the Love Story, Love Story Taylor's, Taylor's version. version was already released, and so you can compare the new version to the old version. Yes, and see which version you like. So yeah, we'll or talk about rather that. just support Taylor's version and don't support <laughs> Scooter Braun. Right, that's what I intend on doing. I intend to replace replacing this album in my iTunes library with just this new one completely. Um, but it'll be interesting uh, because I've, uh, I've listened to the original Fearless recently enough to be able to make that comparison. So it'll be interesting to talk about this next week to see what the, the highlights are. I keep telling you that I'm really interested in hearing uh, uh, um, uh, You Belong With Me, Taylor's version, to see where she hides those breaths because the breaths that she takes in the original one are very distracting and always have been. <laughs> Just this giant... <gasps> in the middle of the chorus that is just or the bridge i think that's just awful don't do that to your voice taylor what are you doing well she has some years on her now that yes she's a better she singer has now. some experience she's a she way better, better singer now she is she probably has better control over her breath and tone so yeah it'll be fascinating to hear all this next week so, or mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow or actually two days and we'll talk about it next week so yep uh we will definitely be talking about this next week but keeping on the Scooter Braun hate train, bump bum. Yes. Uh, he is our first story. Unfortunately. Hybe, H-Y-B-E, uh, the company formerly known as Big Hit Entertainment, <laughs> which is home to BTS, you know, that South Korean pop group that has recently invaded our ears. Yeah, those guys. Well, Big Hit Entertainment has merged with Ithaca Holdings. If that sounds familiar, <laughs> it's the company led by Scooter Braun Projects and Scooter Braun himself. Scooter Braun, the person. <laughs> uh, is he a person or is he like a demon at this point? He might be more corporate than man at this point. Yes. Right. In the deal, Hybe will acquire through Hybe America its wholly owned subsidiary, a 100% stake in Ithaca Holdings and its properties which includes Scooter Braun Projects and management clients Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, and who we're going to be talking about in a very hot second here, mm-hmm. Demi Lovato. Among others. Yeah, among others. Oh, yeah. Also, the Big Machine Label Group, which yes. he purchased last year. Which still includes bands like Little Big Town and... Florida Georgia Line. Florida Georgia Line. And just, you name it. Um, yep. If you it's name a big, a big country artist, nine out of ten times, it's going to be <laughs> part of that big, big machine, machine label. that old big machine that uh, Casey Musgraves sung about in that song. Yep. The deal, if you're talking numbers here, is said to be valued at more than one billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, Scooter Braun will join the board of Hybe and Scott Borchetta will remain CEO of Big Machine Label Group. Artists of both companies will participate in the capital increase of HYBE to further strengthen the ties between the two companies, according to a release announcing the deal. 
outside of that billion dollar deal, financial terms were not officially disclosed. So really the, the news here is that uh, he, Scooter Braun sold is essentially what you need to, what basically the takeaway here is. And so he got a big payday. Uh, so he's going to be involved in day-to-day operations, but this also means that largely he could probably retire anytime he wants because he just made a lot of money. I mean, considering he bought Big Machine Label for $400 million? Something like that. And then is immediately selling to his Ithaca Holdings to Hybe yeah. for roughly a billion dollars? He made money. He made a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so this uh, yeah. does mean that Hybe will become the full company taking over Ithaca Holdings, taking over right. Big Machine Labels, taking over yeah. Scooter Braun projects and managements. I imagine Big Machine stays as a label name, at least. Uh, they'll have that as an imprint, though, because it's got too much cachet to not. Yes. Uh, but beyond that, though, you probably don't see Scooter Braun's name on any shit anymore. I think he's probably tapped out, at least for things that are named after him. Um, so, yeah. I mean, especially since that name is kind of sullied at this point. I don't think it is, world. though. Maybe it is for, ta- for Swifties, but beyond right. that, though... I mean, what we've seen in the last year well, is... What we've seen is that the hits are still the hits. Pop music is still yeah. pop music. Most and people don't know. those three names right there, Justin Bieber, uh, he's in the Billboard right now. Ariana yeah. Grande was just at the Grammys, and Demi yeah. Lovato will be on the chart next week. Most people don't know, and most people don't care is the thing. And so I don't think it matters. I think Scooter just looked at this as an opportunity to make some more money because that's apparently his deal. Is that he's just constantly seeking more more cash? Oh, the um, dragon, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so, some dragon yeah. seeking cash for his hoarding ways. It is what it is. There's not a whole lot, you know, actually going to probably happen here as a result of this, uh, besides con- consolidation. But yeah, it just sucks. It just sucks to see that guy get a quick, get away with the shit. I mean, let's see here. Twenty years ago. He was picking up Justin Bieber off of YouTube, I think. Yeah, yeah, just about. Yeah, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, a lot has changed since then. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Where will you be at 15 years from now? Who can say? Doing this podcast, maybe. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Celebrating 20 years of the Media Book Podcast. Yeah, that would be 20 years. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Anyways. God, and we'll still have like two listeners. Hey, sometimes it's just for you. Sometimes it's just for you, yeah. Anyway. Anyways, our second story is kind of a somber one. Yeah. As uh, rapper DMX remains in a coma uh, at New York Hospital, which he suffered on last Wednesday after suffering a heart attack last week. That's the key. Yes. Uh, his manager, Steve Rinkfein, told uh, NBC News. Rifkind said the 50-year-old rapper's condition remains unchanged and that doctors are scheduled to perform tests to determine the level of his brain function. The results from these tests could be critical in determining DMX's health outcome. Quote, DMX is currently on life support and in a coma. There are multiple people with inaccurate information about his well-being 
and it is not helpful and productive. Tomorrow he will, uh, tomorrow being today, right? Uh, Thursday. Uh, the tests were supposed, are supposed to be today. Okay. So he will undergo further tests on his brain function and his family will determine what's best from him there. Rifkind confirmed to Variety earlier that DMX's condition had remained unchanged. Yeah. So yes, DMX did yeah. suffer a massive heart attack that uh, did land him in the, a coma into the hospital. Unlike what TMZ quickly reported on that he um, suffered an overdose and was rushed to the hospital. I mean... It was not medical related, essentially. We don't know. We don't is know. the actual answer to that question. We do not know what the heart attack was caused by. It could have been caused by an overdose, but we're not sure. Uh, what we do know, though, is that he is still in critical condition. Um, it's not gotten better. Um, and yeah, it's it's looking real bleak for DMX. Yeah, so if you see DMX trending um, yeah. on Twitter or social media, Maybe why we will have official news. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, heart goes out, of course, to DMX and his family. Of course, that'd be a that'd be a tough loss uh, for for one of Rap's longest tenured uh, names. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any breaking news, and I don't see anything quite yet. Yeah, no, probably not much coming out of that. But we'll see. Nope, waiting on next next steps as manager as of two hours ago. Okay. We'll yeah. see. So we will see. Uh, but in the meantime, speaking of dealing with narcotics. Yeah, I would say in lighter news, but it's not really. No, it's yeah. not. <laughs> Demi Lovato, who, <laughs> as we mentioned, um, belongs to that Scooter Braun projects list of clients that he manages. Yes. Released an album. Yeah. And a documentary with yes. that album. We've been talking about the documentary kind of over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's now ended uh, to go inside with this uh, this album release. Um, so you have been watching that whole thing. Uh, where do you end up landing on it? What's your update uh, to kind of use that as a good segue into the record? Uh, so this documentary is available on YouTube, uh, part of a YouTube originals free of charge mm-hmm. on Demi Lovato's uh, YouTube account. It's four episodes long. Each episode is about 20 minutes, so it's really hour 20, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the first three episodes did not change my mind at all about her. And you know my stance on Demi Lovato. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, uh, TLDL, mm-hmm. I'd be a fan. Sure. Um, not, she's, I feel like she's had a lot of chances and she's thrown them away plenty of times which kind of gives me the disdain of why do we keep giving her chances when clearly she just keeps throwing them away that being said this documentary went through that six-year phase of her being sober leading up to what was supposed to be the release of a different album Mm -hmm. until she suffered an overdose in 2018 which put all that on halt and immediately stopped that documentary and then pandemic it kind of went and followed her her recovery with her and her friends and rehab 
and then pandemic hit and kind of went through that whole issue as well leading up to this release of dancing with the devil the art of starting over and both this album and definitely episode four of the uh documentary serve as an apology uh apology to herself apology to her fans and kind of a not a strife but a new starting point in Demi Lovato's life and career it feels like she's definitely learned her lesson and I know how condescending that can sound (laughs) Uh, but she's definitely throughout this album at multiple points points out to her own suffering and says that she knows that she's suffering she understands it better and she knows that it's not there is no easy road for her suffering and wants to do better okay uh real quick yeah i mean you kind of talked about this last week um I'm not, not sure how much I should go into it because yeah, you can watch the the documentary to the get doc. an idea of what she's been through. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say about it, just real quick, to kind of follow up um, what you were talking about, and I, yeah, like I said, I talked about a little bit about this last week. I don't necessarily think it's super fair to say that we've get that that she's had a lot of chances because the mechanics of addiction are very hard to navigate. It's not just addiction. It's not just the the, the drug use that has actually um, ca- caused so many issues in her life. I mean, there's also repeated sexual assault that happens a couple of times in the, over the course of her life. Yeah, that's the also a factor here. Unab- unabashed and goes into it. Well, it doesn't yeah. name names, although it probably so, could. So I guess what I want to say real quick before we talk about the record is that... Uh, I hesitate to paint it as a black and white, like you either deal with this the right way or you deal with this the wrong way because it's a lot of shit um, and it's complicated shit. So I don't necessarily want to go into this being like she was given a chances and she failed to meet them. And because it's not, I don't see this, this arc of her life as a redemption arc because I don't know if she was, I don't know if it's fair to say that there was ever that these things were choices that she was always cognizant, like making cognizantly, right? At least that's how I read the situation. Yes, but it's to always... a certain extent, to a certain extent, yes. But there's also just the just the concept of addiction and how it affects your brain, like like chemically. It's not always something that that's an easy yes or no when you're going when you're trying to recover. Yes, right? and so a, this this documentary does go into it in yeah. that fourth episode. Um, Elton John comes. I'll spoil a little bit. Elton John comes onto it and talks about his struggles with addiction. Yeah. How, you know yeah. how beloved Elton well documented. John is. Yeah, well documented at this point. Yes. Um, so he comes on and says his piece about what about his struggles with addiction and how Demi Lovato should go about it and how he's reached out to her and she's reached out to him. And it is, it does add some credence mm-hmm. 
to have a big name like that and to have something that or have someone that well known who has suffered through addiction on this documentary yeah uh so yeah i just wanted to make sure that was said uh before we kind of use a lot of language about like you know we've given her chances or something like that or well, yeah, or that she's earned it that. or something like that because it's not it's a complicated thing and obviously we're not doctors we're not you know we're not the kind of people that know that are experts on addiction and recovery uh, nor and do we claim to be and so i just want to make clear that uh, i feel like i cannot judge I guess is the way I'll say it because of how unique this kind of experience is to the people who've gone through it. But what we can judge is the record. So let's talk about that. <laughs> well, like I said, the record kind of goes hand in hand with yeah, the does. documentary where if you don't watch the documentary or if you don't really know much about Demi Lovato's life, a lot of the stuff she talks about may just go over your head. You may not even like make any dots or connections yeah. to it. Or it might surprise you uh, in the occasional moments where it does stand out. She does actually get very descriptive mm -hmm. in a few of these songs. But I think I want to go to the point that you actually brought up about the documentary where it feels like this idea of pivoting in her life, this idea of being like, well, I had, this is how things were. This is like the state of the union. And this is now my new like lease on life. And the record is a physical manifestation of that because beyond the first three tracks, which are used kind of as like a framing device, it then turns into a very different toned record where she even tells you straight up in a little monologue that this is sonically what she's, her new approach to life. And this is also like, this is where she's going. And these are songs about this new version of herself. And so, yeah, it's actually a perfect audio interpretation of what exactly you were saying that she's trying to get across in the documentary by the end yes until you get to the to her rendition of mad world <laughs> we're gonna get ourselves here but yes there's a cover of mad world on this thing. <laughs> um generally speaking i was pretty positive about this thing i liked a lot of it um I think a lot of it does have the the uh, same issue that I had with the most recent Ariana Grande record, which is that there's a lot slowing down the pace of this record. There's a lot of maybe a handful too many ballads on this thing. That being said, I came out of it more positive than the Ariana record, uh, at least personally. I thought there's a lot of really interesting stories that she's telling here. There's a lot of very interesting evocative uh, imagery that she's using here. Um, I think... Uh, musically there's some interesting things she's experimenting with she's definitely taking notes from ariana that's very clear ariana shows up on a record on a mm -hmm. song on this record which is very telling um they both have that in common that they've both been through some trauma and so it's a, a good union to have also it doesn't hurt that they're on the same management but anyways um, <laughs> but yeah um i generally liked uh this am i going to go back to it Maybe not, but I thought it was good for what it was trying to do and is a promising start to kind of a second half of the Ariana story. Or not Ariana. See, 
that's the problem is that they they're close now the demi lovato story yes there are several times on this record where i thought wait this sounds like ariana grande and that one of them i was right it was ariana grande that's why but on another one it wasn't yeah um where'd you kind of land uh i landed on surprisingly listened to this album twice okay uh when i was done with it i was like oh let me just fire it up again because the first time through i did get a lot of that imagery because i did watch the documentary and it does go into a lot of it and i can see where the life experiences she is pulling from is this something i want little girls listening to maybe not yeah it is very explicit at times it does get very deep and personal at times which as we've seen doesn't quite play out in necessarily a pop record or radio play but it is a very personal album for Demi Lovato and I think that goes comes through in a lot of the rec- a lot of the songs on this record mm-hmm. it does feel like a very personal record personal album which I'll bring it back up again when she started singing Mad World it <laughs> did like I understood why it's there. It is a very powerful song. At the same time, I thought it could be used as a sampling and not necessarily just a straight cover. That's fair. It is very close to already existing covers of that song, so I could see. There's a lot of covers of Bad World out there. It definitely seems unnecessary, is I guess what you're right. But but it also reminds you of kind of the the mindset she was in at the time she was putting this record together, right? Where it's like a song like that is going to resonate with you when you're in that dark kind of zone. It's a reason why that song has never resonated with me because I'm always like, well, I've, I guess I've never been that depressed. Um, well, it's like the sound of silence can hit differently depending right. on who's listening to depending it. Depending on where you're at. Hallelujah can hit differently from uh, yeah. COVID. That being said, though, like, yeah, I see where you're where you're coming from with it, where it's like, it seems like having a cover in such a deeply personal record does seem like a weird move. But if it's a song that she's very, you know, she feels very strongly about, I guess I get it. Yeah. Uh, I did come away more positive on this record than previous Demi Lovato stuff. Okay. Um, like I said, um, like I alluded to in the box in the box office in the Billboard, I expect this thing to be on the top five next week. Yeah, very well could be. Uh, but if you're going to listen to this album, I highly suggest watching that documentary first and then listening to it. The documentary is quick. There's four episodes, each about 20, 25 minutes in length. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get through it in an afternoon, and then the album itself is only an hour long. Yeah, yeah. I like how we have to say only an hour long, even though it's a long album. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still a long album. Yeah. All right. But like all, I think that's one of the positive, though, is that all the songs definitely work together and definitely yeah. flow together. So it's, it's a good, good album. Yeah, it's a good thematic piece. Yes. Um, it does what she wanted it to do. So mm-hmm. there you go. And you can, if, if it does what you want it to do, that's all you can ask for. That's really all you can ask for. Yep. All right. Let's move on. All right. Uh, let's wrap up here real quickly with some video games. Yeah. And, ooh, you got some thoughts on video games. Just a, a thought. 
I think. Okay. But first up, we have some new releases, including Cozy Grove Aww. for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. The Legend of Heroes, colon, Trails of Cold Steel 4 yeah. for the Switch. Those things just don't stop coming out, ever. I heard if you haven't played the first three, it's okay. You can jump in right at four. No, really I've, heard, I've heard the exact opposite <laughs> of that. I hear that those games have an impenetrable story is that you have to like play three different variants of the Legends of Heroes games to understand anything that's happening. So you are wrong. <laughs> that's anyway, the joke. That's the joke. Uh, and lastly, Poison Control for the PS4 and the Switch. Sure. Slow, slow release week. Nothing slow big. Slow release. Speaking of slow releases, oh boy. E3s are right around the corner, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, hey, yeah, but but hey, you're probably thinking, I can't go anywhere. They're surely not having E3 this year. I mean, I might be vaccinated soon, but that doesn't mean I'm ready to go to a, a convention a center. Convention? No, God, no. Well, as we noted on this podcast and Literally the entire gaming world noted. Yes. Things got canceled last year due to the coronavirus. And, well, E3 has decided that, you know what? We can't do that again because it's mm-hmm. making a return in 2021 as a digital event. More or less, so, we knew this. This is just the uh, ESA confirming it. You know, it's hard to be excited about it, uh, considering, you know, it's happening in the same month as the not E3 Summer Game Fest <laughs> uh, that Jeff Keighley is hosting. Yeah, so Jeff Keighley, that's the other kind of bit that's folded into this bit that happened this week, which is that Jeff Keighley announced that they will be doing another one of their showcases that they did last year, uh, where he'll probably snap up some exclusives for that show too. Yep, and also the fact that the ESA <laughs> leaked the personal data of several media yeah. and content creators present the last time it was a thing yeah remember that yeah. still trying to live that down that's like never the astros cheating scandal of the video game world in a way we're gonna live it down never gonna live it down the digital approximation of the once los angeles space event will take place between june 12th and june 15th with several big companies signed on to present games and other announcements under its banner companies like nintendo Xbox, Capcom, Kanabi, Ubisoft, Take Two, Warner Brothers, and Coke Media yeah. are all among companies uh, saying to take part in E3 2021. Though, if you note, Electronic Arts, EA, and Sony, nowhere to be seen on that list. Yeah. Because EA will probably be holding its EA state of EA play, yep. and Sony has its own state of play event as well. Right, right. Um, which, you know, followed from Sony uh, famously dropping out of E3 in 2019. And it hasn't been back since. Since the company isn't pay- playing by ESA's rules, it's not really obligated to hold a state of play presentation in June either. So maybe we'll hear something from Sony at a later date. But E3 2021 will be viewable by the public for free rather than trying to emulate its paid ticket sales of the past few years before COVID-19. So 
real quick, that last bit is kind of the key part here because one of the rumors that was attached to the, the whole digital E3 this year was that there was talk about there being a paywall for certain content, like live streams of demos or something like that. No longer the case. The ESA is making sure to say that everything that they show through E3 as a digital presentation will be free. No, no paywalls, uh, which is good, which means that us armchair uh, video game fans can watch the whole thing at home and don't have to pay anything for it. So that's kind of nice. Um, though it's unclear exactly what the structure of this thing will be, uh, just because these companies are involved doesn't mean that they're going to have a streaming presentation as part of E3. That's, of course, the assumption that our brains go to, because in our brains, the whole point of E3 is the press conferences. But that might not be what this is anymore. The freedom that this allows means this could be literally anything. Those company names could just be showing up a game as part of this. So you might see a division where they'll show some games through the E3 brand. They'll show some games, Jeff Keighley's thing, and they'll save some games for their own presentation, such as a Nintendo Direct. So it's not really clear exactly what E3, even though they're calling it that, will even be. I mean, we have seen two different styles of presentation with already with DC Fandom yeah. and the Comic-Con online experience, um, both of which... Well, one was free. Uh, the DC fandom was free. The Comic-Con Online was a paid subscription for it. But either way, all that information did get leaked within the following days and weeks. So right. it makes sense to not have it behind a paywall if you want more eyes on it. And more eyes means more, you can charge more for advertising dollars as yes. well. Yes. Sponsorship. Which that's how they're going to subsidize not having yeah. ticket sales. Oh, yeah. Easily. The thing is a giant ad when you consider it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a giant ad for games that you're going to purchase. And yeah, for video games. Other hard games and hardware. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's what we expected it to be, but it's still unclear about exactly what it will be comprised of. And we might not know until the week up. So, uh, so yeah, keep an eye, uh, at least one eye open, as they yeah, say. Most likely the month uh, prior, June. as we'll know, as the big companies, yeah. Xbox, Nintendo and Sony will state their plans. Tell everyone what they're going to plan to do right. when their press conferences are. Yeah, you're right. I don't you're think right. we'll have Sony surprising us with a one week notice anymore. No, no, no. So, well, actually, Sony can do whatever the shit they want. So, maybe. Well, as they've proven, yes, but <laughs> yes. hopefully, no, not. <laughs> we'll see. And um, just a heads up for those of you listening if they do somehow do Thursday drops, <laughs> we might move the podcast to a Thursday drop as well. We'll figure it out. We'll figure Definitely. out something. Anyway. Anyways, uh, what's uh, round third? Head for home <laughs> and get back to the sports corner because yeah. MLB the show is almost here. Not quite. <laughs> it's almost here, but they threw us a real curveball this week, didn't they? Oh, did they? So as we reported on here Back in 2019, and kind of took the whole video game world by storm, that the longtime exclusive MLB The Show would not be exclusively beholden to PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Well, it happened. It finally happened. The latest trailer for MLB The Show 21 had a shocker as 
for some people, the Xbox logo appeared right before the PlayStation Studios one in the trailer announcing that MLB The Show would be coming to Xbox Game Pass on <laughs> launch day. So, real quick, we knew that there was an Xbox version. That more or less was confirmed. The surprise here is that it's going on Game Pass, which is mind-blowing. It's considering, a subscription service. Considering this is a game that, one, you have to purchase for $60 on a PlayStation 4. You have to purchase for $70 on a PlayStation 5. <laughs> and the $70 version is the only one you can play on a next-gen system. But the Game Pass version? That's free with your subscription. And it's both generations of hardware. That's yeah, a big deal. It is a definitely a big <laughs> deal. Um, PlayStation developed the game. Mm-hmm. It's coming to Xbox subscription service. <laughs> but I wonder how long that timed exclusive is for, though, on that service. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you wonder what kind of deal was made. So, speaking of deal, the thing that's not in this story um, that kind of happened after the story broke, um, a outlet reached out to Sony to see what had happened there, if it was there, if they had made the deal with Microsoft themselves. And they said no, that apparently it was a Major League Baseball decision. Ooh. That they apparently made the deal, because they are the publisher for all intents and purposes, right. of the Xbox version of this game. If you look at the Microsoft Store listing, Sony is listed as a developer there, uh, most specifically Sony as uh, San Diego, uh, which has always made the show. But publisher is just Major League Baseball on the Xbox version of the game. So the publisher would be making distribution deals. So it makes sense that the league went to Microsoft and made this deal and my, and PlayStation probably was surprised by it too. I mean, if MLB comes to Xbox and Xbox is like, this is how we're going to one-up PlayStation right. with their own thing. Yes, we're going to do it. Even if it costs them money, it's going to get people, I mean, it's going to get me to mm-hmm. highly consider Game Pass. It's the... It's an incredibly smart deal if you're Major League Baseball because this is a franchise that has been a PlayStation exclusive for so long Mm -hmm. that Microsoft's like fans of the Xbox were already probably going to buy this. And so so you're guaranteeing a certain amount of people will play this on the Xbox kind of no matter what. And that's a lot of eyes on your your game. There's a lot of new customers that you're going to get for future versions of the show, regardless of platform. Now, Xbox itself can publicly promote that it yes. hosts all four major U.S. <laughs> yes. sports on one console. That's the on other one thing. Subscription. That's the other thing about this deal is that it confirms that you can play Madden, you can play NBA 2K, you can play uh, MLB The Show. You can play FIFA and you can play NHL all on Game Pass and all the most recent releases of all those games, which is mind-blowing if you're a video game sports fan. That yeah. pays that pays 
that is worth the price of admission for Game Pass easily. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find a Xbox Series X or S. But that's the thing, though. If you have a Xbox One, you can still enjoy all of that. It's just mm-hmm. that you're going to get the last-gen versions of the game. But honestly, that's fine for a lot of people who can't get their hands on the new consoles um, because they're just going to be really hard to find for the next, rest of this year anyway. So it's a good deal pretty much no matter what Xbox you own at this point. Yep, you just have to get the Game Pass subscription for it. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, at this point, we can't tell you more like about how good Game Pass is. Um, and I'm a big Sony guy, and yeah, this is like blowing everything out of the water that Sony has right now. The one caveat I will say about this deal, uh, the only downside if you're on the Xbox, is that if you want an early access to the game on the 16th, uh, that is exclusively for the... Um, the uh, uh, I want to say it's paid. only the most expensive version of the game, which I believe this year is the Jackie Robinson version. Okay. Of MLB The Show Twenty One, that is the only one that gets you the six access on the sixteenth. So the Game Pass version and all other versions won't work until the twentieth. Oh no! I have to wait four days. I know, but but hey, that's quite a four twenty for all of you. You get to blaze it and hey. play some baseball. <laughs> So yeah, we'll uh, obviously be playing this. Now I have no excuse. In fact, yes. it's really funny. Days before this was announced, I had already pretty much decided that I was in on the Xbox version this year because I wasn't going to get a next-gen system this year. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I as well get it on the system that we play. And so I was going to spit, I was going to pay the $60 to buy this. And when they announced this, I was like, well, shit. Now I don't even need to spend that $60. This is why you don't pre-order shit. <laughs> why you don't pre-order. Although what I understand is that those pre-orders were easily canceled um, yeah. on Xbox, so you didn't have to worry about it too much. But yeah, it's great. So I'm going to be there day one on, on the 20th, uh, and we'll have lots of feedback for you uh, because we'll be playing it. Uh, yep. Um, I mean, we're, our episode's on 421, so we have a whole <laughs> day to perfect. play it. Perfect. We'll have a lot of experience. That's in two weeks, though. So, in the meantime, since you do have Game Pass, I heard you played a game. Yeah. Uh, So, one of the things about Game Pass that's nice is that even if you're not necessarily sure you're going to like something, you can download it and try it on a whim and see if it's something that's up to your speed. So, a couple weeks ago, you talked about the demo for Square Enix's new game, Outriders. Um, And I had a quite positive take on it you had a good time on with the demo um and your pitch on it was it's like a loot shooter kind of like a borderlands uh but in the third person kind of cover-based gameplay of a gears of war per se and i've heard that pitch multiple times and more or less that's what this game is so i've put in at this point i want to say almost three hours um i got a handful of missions uh beyond the part of the demo for sure at this point um kind of got in the meat of the game where i'm doing mis- doing side missions and i have my um my uh, class abilities i'm a tech romancer because mm-hmm. i like long distance shit um and yeah uh it is definitely what people said it was it is a loot shooter uh with some light live game stuff in it like there is a hub that you uh, that you use to go to different um, different mission locations 
there is loot that you're getting constantly uh, new guns to and um, uh, armor sets to um, upgrade your character with. There's a world leveling up system that's not too dissimilar to stuff that's been in the Diablo games in the past and other similar um, RPGs where um, you'll be unlocking these like difficulty tiers essentially that keep going up which you can always move down if the game gets too hard. It's kind of a nice thing. It's class-based, as I kind of mentioned. There's multiple classes you can choose from with different abilities. And it's also co-op. So ideally, it's a four-player game um, that you can have everybody kind of intermingling their skills together to uh, for best effects. On paper, this should be something that I enjoy. The problem is when you're actually playing it. <laughs> so... It's kind of an interesting setup. It's kind of an interesting world. I think that this, the premise of kind of Earth died, we found another planet, that planet's bunk too, but now we're stuck here and there's been a war. Your character goes into cryo sleep, wakes up, all shit's broken loose and you have to deal with it essentially. But hey, you were in this lightning storm, so you got special powers. So you're better than everybody else. But there's other people, ne'er-do-wells out there that also have powers that are going to be your mini bosses. Uh, you know, it's pretty stock sci-fi game story stuff, which would be fine if the storytelling wasn't just so bad in this game. The voice acting, terrible. The dialogue, terrible. So that, and you get a lot of dialogue at, uh, at the beginning of this game in the tutorial section. So immediately at the, right at the bat, before I even actually played the game, I was like, oof, the production values on this thing are lacking, which makes me wonder if there was some sort of COVID-related reason that maybe they couldn't record in the way that they would have in an ideal scenario because it just sounds awkward all the deliveries are really really rough then i actually played it and yeah the elements are all there but the actual practice of the cover-based shooting is nowhere near as smooth as it is in a gears of war in fact the analog i actually felt that it was closer to was ubisoft's the division Enemies have similar uh, uh, health bars to the division. The shooting feels like that kind of lighter, kind of not as heavy shooting. Even the skills gave me kind of a military shooter vibe, especially the Techromancer, because you have basically the equivalent of a frag grenade, the equivalent of a turret, um, and the equivalent of like a um, a barrage, of like a missile barrage that shoots ahead of you. Um, and so... I guess I was looking for things that maybe elicited more of that kind of sci-fi kind of tinged kind of thing, but they didn't feel like that. It felt very generic to me in a way that I wasn't anticipating. From what I understand, once you hit like level 10 and things open up a little bit more on the, the skill, um, in the skill kind of area, that the skills get more varied and there's like loot that changes some of your skills, um, in different ways. Uh, that all sounds interesting, but the feel of going from cover to cover and shooting just moment to moment for me felt sloppy. I wanted there to be a 60 frames option for this. This is a very 30 frames, like very old, like creaky looking game. And I was hoping playing it on Xbox Series X, or not Series X, or One X, that there was going to be some sort of 60, uh, 60 frames mode that I could maybe turn down, down the graphic quality just to get those frames where I wanted them. There is not. No graphic mm. settings in Outriders on the on the One um, X. So it felt old and 
bad and shaky in a way that I haven't felt in a game in a while. I guess I've been spoiled by playing shit on the PC. Also, to note, I was hoping this was on PC Game Pass. It's it is not. Me. That's why I had to play it on Xbox One. Uh, I wonder if the MLB will be available on PC or if it's just Xbox. No. Uh, there is no PC version, actually, of the show 21 announced, in fact. Mm. So that is going to be Xbox exclusive as well. Um, so, yeah, I just, yeah, I wonder, which made me think the whole time is I bet this plays a lot better on the PC or on a uh, next-gen system. Because, yeah, even the Xbox One X version of this thing does not run well. Um, but even beyond just the performance, it just didn't feel good to play for me. And maybe that's because I was expecting something like more like Gears of War. And that's not what this really felt like to me. The loot wasn't that great that I was getting anyway either. So that wasn't even that much of a carrot to keep me going. So I had an experience late last night where I was like in a, um, in a, um, a, a combat scenario that I was having a really hard time with. And I was just whacking my head against and died like four times. The, the game kept telling me, it's like, hey, move down your world uh, level to make it easier for you. And I'm like, uh, game? <laughs> No, because there's enough benefits there because it's like, it's just, so I had that moment where I was like, you have to get good. I had that moment where I was like, do I stay stay with this game? Do I keep going with this? Uh, Do I keep hitting my head against the wall to see if it gets better? Or, hey, this is on Game Pass. Is there any reason for me to keep playing this? Turns out, no, was the answer I landed on. So I don't think I'm going to go back to Outriders. Well, that's the good thing about Game Pass is that yeah. You don't buy the games. That yes. They're just there if you want to play them. Unfortunately, that's also the bad thing about it is that mm-hmm. you don't buy the games. If they're gone off um, Game Pass, I think it gives you a 30-day window to purchase them. But yeah, Game Pass is rotating as yeah. Microsoft sees fit. And you can also rotate games as you see fit. If it's not your game, there's something else out there. Yeah, so It I looks like think... this is not your game. So I think what I'll say is I don't think Outriders is a bad game. A lot of people are out there really enjoying it right now. I've heard nothing but praise uh, for it. I think, uh, yes, there were some technical issues around launch. They seem to have largely resolved them. I don't think you can play cross-play with PC yet. Uh, You can play it with PlayStation uh, from Xbox, though. So if you do have friends on the other side of the console wagon, they can still play with you, which is nice. But I just did not have a fun time with it. And maybe it would be better on a better performing system. But with Game Pass, that would pretty much lock you to the Xbox Series consoles. So what I'm saying is your mileage may vary on Outriders. I think if this sounds like a premise that you would like, a Borderlands meets uh, The Division, then absolutely give it a try. Because that's what this thing is. But if you have older technology, it may not run well enough for it to feel good when you're actually playing the game. From the numbers that I've seen, it's at least doing better than Marvel's Avengers. Oh, easily. I bet Square is very quick to come after this after this game's release and be like, hey, look, look at these numbers. Look at these concurrent players that we're looking at with this because they want to erase all memories of how badly the Avengers did um, mm-hmm. and remind people that this is the one that hit. Because uh, turns out, if the game actually has an interesting premise to it, 
and isn't muddled and all microtransaction city, that people will play it and like it. So yeah, your mileage may vary on out, Outriders. Not my thing, but I think it'll find an audience very quickly. All right. Um, okay. Miles, I didn't really play anything else. I still continued streaming Final Fantasy VII. Um, uh, coming to some a lot... sort of conclusion with that one? You're huh? getting towards the end? I don't know, because I'm because you know my gameplay. I'm well. One, I'm only playing two hours every, yeah, every day. So that's six hours yeah. a week, and then it's in and out of doing all side missions because that's how I play. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, huh. it's very. Can I help you? <laughs> anyway. Anyways, um. Yeah, um, I'm continuing streaming it on Twitch two hours, but okay. I mean, by the time I finish that game, it's going to be end of the month. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll get, we'll touch back on that when you when we finish it up then. Yeah, I I think I said um, basically my thoughts on it were if I did play it last year, it probably would have been in my number four slot ahead of the uh, the fifty one club games. But I liked other games that year better, <laughs> like Hades and like Last yeah. of Us. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think that does it with us here, then, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that'll right. do it. Let's plug away. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Media Vote Podcast. We'll be back next week for another episode. If you want to see us in video form, we're available on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com and search Media Boat Podcast. Find our page, like, subscribe, click that bell for notifications, and you'll know when we go up with a new video. If you want to hear the audio version, the traditional podcast experience, you can do that all sorts of places as well. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, even Spotify. Trusty old Spotify. You can hear us anywhere you see fit subscribe and listen to new episodes as they go up every week you can also find us on social media we're on twitter at at media boat cast we're on facebook search media boat podcast for that if you want to see mike play final fantasy 7 remake you can do so on twitch.tv slash media boat uh, where he'll be uploading new episodes of that and you can also find our uh, little blips about our, our podcast as well as embeds of the YouTube videos on MediaBoatPodcast.com. Newly updated with all the episodes since the last time we brought, uh, since uh, I believe December 9th, which was the last one posted there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, a good three months worth of podcast there for you to enjoy. So go check that out. Um, yeah, and, I've been yeah. seeing, I get notifications on my phone that say, you have three new visitors. You have five new visitors. That's great. Where are you guys coming from? So now they'll have something to click on. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so uh, thanks for joining us. Oh yeah, and lastly, if you want to have any feedback, any questions you want to ask us, anything about the show that you want to let us know, you can email us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. That will do it. We'll be back next week to talk about Taylor's version of Fearless. We'll have uh, television thoughts, I'm sure. We always do. Uh, maybe yes. some video game thoughts for you. Who knows what we'll have on offer um, next week. We will definitely have full television thoughts on Aaron Rodgers' take on Jeopardy. Rodgers. Uh, and yeah, more TV, more, I mean, Taylor Swift for sure next yes. week. Easy, easy. Um, that's what our thoughts are going to be next week. 
yeah. uh, and um, any other movies that we may come across. All right. All of that and more next week. So stay yep. tuned to the Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back next time. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye.